Welcome back to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host, Danger, and joining me as always is Monster. Say hi, Monster. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? So today we are talking about the Emo Darlings, uh, second album, Take It Back Sunday, Where You Want to Be. So, Monster, hmm. tell me your thoughts, your opinions, your feelings on this album before we actually sat down to talk about this album. Well, so like every teenager in the early to mid-2000s, I had Taking Back Sunday's album, Tell All Your Friends. And even though quote-unquote emo or scene music or whatever you want to call it wasn't necessarily like my favorite thing in the whole wide world, I liked that album. I thought it was quirky and kind of fun. And that was the only one I ever really listened to. When you mentioned this one, uh, I looked it up. I recognized the album cover, but I didn't think I knew anything off of it. When I started to listen to it, I recognized a couple of the songs. But part of it's a nostalgia thing, but part of it's also, I think there was two different, there was two new members on Yes, uh, Where You Want to Be, which might have changed sort of the writing a little bit. It didn't have the same quirky tempo changes and kind of silly lyrics that the first album had. So I don't know. It it didn't quite pull me in and hold me in quite as much as Tell All Your Friends did. I, I I'll save my final thoughts for later. But yeah, I, I wasn't I was looking forward to it and then I was kind of let down a little bit. Okay. Okay. So they did have two members uh leave John Nolan and Sean Cooper, guitar and bassist respectively. And then uh, they had Fred Mascherino and Matt Rubiano, Ru- Rubano. I don't know how you pronounce that. Anyway. You're nailing it. You're nailing yeah, it. Don't, I know. Don't worry about it. I know. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the confidence I need to move forward. So anyway, they changed lead guitar and vocalist with Fred Mascherino. And the dual vocals is everywhere on this album, which <laughs> I think actually adds a lot to it. You know, we... Uh, I think the dual, vocal, dual vocals worked great on this album. And uh, Matt Rubano played uh, bass guitar. So correct me if I'm wrong, because I know that you will. But <laughs> it feels like this album has the bass turned down a bit. Yeah, so going back to one thing you said, the dual vocal thing. I've always liked that in bands when there are two, sometimes three very distinct voices. Sometimes it's all coming out of the same guy, but other times you got two or three different vocalists doing different things, and it's it's interesting. But I liked the play on the first album better than the play on this one between the dual vocals. See, I actually like this album better than the first one. I think that uh, Tell Your Friends was a great like step into, like, hey, we're here, we're doing things. But I felt like this album really highlighted... There really wasn't a name for it because I went and looked it up. There isn't a name for the like Northeast emo, the uh, like New York, New Jersey area. You just have mm-hmm. bands that came out of the area, but I feel like they did a really great job of kind of mixing a couple different parts of emo, which I think this was an important emo album and that it kind of pushed them forward. Now, the interesting thing about that, where I said it pushed the genre forward, let me put it that way. I think the interesting thing about the whole emo scene was you had a band that was like at the top of the charts that was leading things. I say top of the charts, but most emo albums didn't chart or hit the radio. 
But this one did. <laughs> it did. But you had something interesting happen during this time where you had uh, – hold on a second. Let me finish my thought that I had a second ago. Yeah. So ADD, I was on high alert this morning. And so you had bands that would just you know put out an album and kind of shoot to the top of popularity – and then somebody else would put out an album and then they would kind of drop down a little bit below that other album. And it's like they were kind of fighting for that top spot. But mm-hmm. I felt like this album actually did a really good job of mixing the emo pop section of emo, which is combining emo and pop punk, which I felt a lot of pop punk. I actually felt a, a good bit of like dirty punk, which I really enjoy the like dirty punk accent on things. Mm-hmm. But uh, Keith, thing in emo pop is more concise songs and hook filled choruses which i feel like this album has hooks for days Uh, okay so here's here's something that i hear a lot of bands say they put out an album or two and then they say something along the lines of this is our most mature album we we decided to be more mature on this record and if there's anything i liked about the first record was the immaturity. I liked that it was silly and it you could tell that they didn't record to a metronome. Right. They did some weird jangly guitar chords that weren't always perfectly in tune. The vocals were rough and it felt, what's the word? It felt authentic. It felt like a bunch of kids with a bunch of energy making some songs that they thought were cool and they wanted to go play live, and there was that energy there. I don't hear any of that on this album. I hear a pretty stock pop-punk emo record. There's a couple of things that stand out to me that I'll definitely bring up when we get to the song-by-song, but overall, this just... I don't know. Like, to me, and and let me ask you a question here. Okay. Ask So, So let's say... I am to new metal as you are to emo scene music. What is the quality that Taking Back Sunday brings that their contemporaries do not have? Like, what makes this band, this record, stand out to you versus the other stuff at the time? Well, I think actually what stood out to me is what I was getting to before that we kind of got off on a little bit there when I said hooks for days. So... They, I think, do a tangents here. I don't. That doesn't sound tangents. No, that doesn't sound like us. No, we may as well rename the show "Musical Tangent." Uh, So they do a great job of mixing the emo pop and emo core, which is the more post-hardcore, more emotional, somewhat melodical, but then also with elements of screamo in there. And while the production value, I think, is better on this album than on "Tell Your Friends," which is pretty understandable considering that they had garnered a large following at this point. And I think that that's something that they really did really well here. I don't think they do it as great on the following albums. In fact, my interest in Take It Back Sunday kind of followed off, fell off after this album. And, you know, uh, Louder Now after this was fine. And then, I, you know, they kind of just fell apart. But... They were also a great live band, which these songs translated amazing live. And Mm -hmm. what I think is funny is that Fred, who they added to this, left not long after this and Mm -hmm. started uh, The Color Fred. And 
So they still do these songs live on stage and they work. They're fine. Yeah. But tell your friends, I felt like had a few more of like audience participation kind of songs than this album does. And I think that goes a long way. In fact, there's a couple, I think there's like two songs on this where the microphone pretty much just hangs out in the audience the whole time. Yeah. And which is fun when you're seeing them live. But so, so, so again, this isn't my main, you know, genre of music. I'm familiar right. with it, especially at this era of it. Uh, Victory Records bands, I was pretty familiar with because yep. guys I was in bands with and stuff. But like for me, when I think of, again, specifically this time period of some of the other bands in this scene, I think about Thrice. They had the noodly guitars that kind of broke them apart. I think of Atreyu. They had the more metalcore, like heavy breakdowns mixed in. This to me just feels very middle of the road. Like if if I wasn't paying attention and you were playing me records from like 2002 to 2005 of stuff like Silverstein and Taking Back Sunday and Thursday and The Used, like, yeah, there are nuances there that definitely separate them. But to me, this just felt kind of stock. Like I didn't... Again, with some exceptions, there are a few exceptions for sure, but just overall for its duration of its runtime, it just felt very sort of product of its time. I mean, I can see that and maybe I'm a product of this time. I don't know, but I really feel like what set them apart, especially on this album, is that they were able to kind of grab these different genres and smash them together, added to the fact that I have never been a uh, a good singer ever and mm-hmm. adam lazara does not make me feel like i need to be a good singer no and, no he does not <laughs> and you know it's a an acoustic track that we'll get to i could get in the car after being after being out partying all night and you know still in a overhung state driving to work and mm-hmm. listening to this acoustic song and hitting all of the notes i don't know what you call them but <laughs> but i don't know like on the first album the songs had this energy about them to me that like the little bit of off-key singing just sort of like went along with it because you could kind of imagine that he's bouncing all over the place he's like full of caffeine just wailing mm-hmm. but this one sounds tighter and more concise and more straightforward so it's like no dude you need to nail this because that's what you're going for on this album. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I hear that, but I don't like it. <laughs> no, it <laughs> to me this album was just one of the like staples of the genre in in this time period and I think it's because they do mix those those little sections of emo so well. They don't get any Midwest emo in there. And No. Which I think is funny because they came off of co-headlining tour with Saves a Day. And mm-hmm. uh, it was said they had about 45 minutes to rest before they started writing and recording this album. And Saves a Day is nothing like Take It Back Sunday. And and just so we're on the same page, I don't know why, but I like it is a valid answer when it comes <laughs> to subjective media. Like, you, you know, like I can give you a million reasons why I don't think something's good or it doesn't work for me, but it's also okay to just say, I like it. It sounds good to me. You know, obviously the whole point of this show is to kind of, you know, actually get in the weeds on the whys and why nots. But at the end of the day, you know, 
there's been plenty of records that we've already discussed that there's just something about it that I really like or you really like right. that the other person doesn't have in them. It's the cilantro gene. To yes. some people, it's good. To some people, it tastes like soap. Right. It's just, exactly. just how you, you know, how you receive it. <laughs> so something I did have to really think about when I was listening to this is something we've talked about in the past about albums that are just smothered in nostalgia. And I don't feel like that's what this is for me. While, yes, this was a big album when I first got this, I listened to it over and over again. And then I put it down, and I don't think I went back to it for a long time. But certain songs would pop up occasionally on randomized playlists and all. And I never found myself skipping any of the songs, and I always found myself enjoying the songs. And when I put the album back on to listen for purposes of here, I found myself enjoying this album just the same except for this little pocket that happens towards the end <laughs> and it, it just kind of fell apart at the like a little bit at the end and then it pulled itself together you know shortly after but i <laughs> it it's just so funny like and obviously we haven't gotten into eat like the song you know list yet but i have a feeling it just judging from what you just said that we're we're going to be sort of on the opposites here of of what works for me and what works for you. I think that's we'll, fine. We'll we usually are, so true. You know, and somehow we still like the same kind of music. So yes. you know, but anyway, let's just jump into it. Yeah. So before we do, I think the song titles on this album are great, and they're not like the emo cringe thing like that's actually something that i really like is there's very little of like the emo lyrical cringe on this album you know there is one yeah. one song where he says it's a pillow fight between my pillowcase and your pearly whites but that's the only one that's like a weirdly cringy clever line but the titles are all pretty short and mostly taken from tv which oh, okay. i think is fun right there's a few that aren't that are just relative, you know, to the song or what was happening and all. So, number one, set phasers to stun. So, I remember thinking this when I first heard the album, and I thought about it again in listening to this one, but... You know, he starts the song out by saying, I'm sorry it took me so long. And I know that further on into the song, you realize that he's not talking about this. But my thought at the time and thought now is, it's only been two years since your last album. It really hasn't been that long. Just, I, I appreciate you apologizing, but I don't, I don't need that. I really enjoyed the energy and big guitars on this song i do think that this is a great opening track i don't think it's the best opening track that could have had in fact i think number two could have been a better opening track but this was the third single off the album and i think it was rightly placed as a third single given what ended up being the first single but i really appreciated that even in the first song they really put forward the dual vocals even though in like the second verse, the dual vocals kind of get a little messed up. And it's not something you really hear unless you're listening for it. But mm -hmm. 
I felt like this was a really good entry as a first song for this album because it's like, hey, we're going to be bigger here. We're going to have two vocals and it's not always going to be put together in the best way. Yeah, so I agree with most of what you said. I think um, it comes in strong. It, it, it's a good way to start the album with, you know, kind of distorted power chords. The song as a whole, like I said, is is kind of just generic pop punk emo rock to me, but it's mixed very well. It's a well put together song. Uh, go ahead. Uh, full disclosure. I am a sucker for a four on the floor pop, 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 pop beat that gets cut in half and you have that like halftime groove kind of thing. Yep. And so for me, I, I, I like the four on the floor, like just aggressive intro to the album. And then that very last section where they cut the tempo in half and it has a little bit of like a bounce to it. Uh, I was getting kind of Emery vibes on mm -hmm. that last little section. Uh, I like the way it ended. I, I think this is a good opener. I think it's got a lot of energy. For sure. I, I do think it's a good opener, but I think that track number two, Bonus Mosh Part Two. Is a better opener. I feel like this was probably the if one of, if not the strongest tracks on the album. And so to me, this front half of the album is just moving and it's grooving and it's doing its thing. And I I really enjoyed how they kind of came into it with this, this entry of like, okay, this is kind of the sound that we are. It's not going to be too different, but we're going to kind of turn it up a bit. And then they come in with this, which is, hey, we're not going to do the same thing. We're going to give you mm -hmm. a cool you know, duality on guitar work where it's going to play against each other. And I mean, it's a, the, I felt like the singing actually went right along with the guitar in a really cool way. And I was really impressed by that. And the drums are the loudest instrument on this, uh, on this song just by far. I'm glad you feel that way. I'm glad you have an attachment to this because, uh, this is very forgettable to me. Really? I, I liked the kind of waltzy vibe that mm -hmm. the the rhythm has during the verses. Yeah, uh, I like the bridge. Um, this is kind of a deep cut, but maybe people in our audience would know this. The there's something about the guitar and the vocals in the bridge that gives me a very Billy Talent vibe. Yeah, just for I... just briefly, just briefly. Uh, but overall, I I. I it's fine. It's serviceable. It's well done. I do, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and say up front, I think the production on this record's great. A lot of bands at this time in this genre were kind of thin. And I agree with you about the bass. But if you have headphones on, the bass is more noticeable. And that bass player is really good. He, he does is. some things, not like way out of pocket, but he's got a couple of moments where. He could have just played flat uh, root notes, but instead he he adds a little flair. So, but I, I think it sounds well produced. I just I don't know. It just it just didn't do much for me. So I will say that musically, this is a great song. I don't think it's one where the vocals really shine. Mm -hmm. But I also think the song does get a bit repetitive, and about mm -hmm. the time it starts to get repetitive. 
we start to get a little a little more screamo vibes in it. Yeah. And I think that it was getting a little repetitive shortly before the bridge, and then the bridge happened, and then that's when it got a little bit louder. But it was like even in the screaming part of it, it was still repetitive in its nature. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but with all that being said, track three, a decade under the influence. That's more sure and I like this one. Why? This one, Why do you like this one? Well, so I really like that chord at the beginning of the song. Yeah. It's 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 big, bright chord there. During the verses, it could be very simple, but again, we're talking about the bass. There's this extra little walk that the bass does that I think kind of gives it a cool vibe instead of just being more straightforward generic emo pop punk this one to me sounded like something off the first record it's a little more catchy it's a little bit more quirky that line about to hell with you and all your friends gets very stuck in your head it does um this song probably reminded me the most of the first record which is why i liked it so i was really wondering why you like this song uh, and it's funny that you talk about the guitar in it because when they were writing the guitar, Reyes said that he had had the track for the riff for years, mm-hmm. and he always felt like it was something close to Pumpkins, Smashing Pumpkins, nineteen seventy nine. Which, if you yeah, go I read back, that too. Yeah, yeah. which it, I never really put that together until I read that. It was like I can completely hear that. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I really like this song as well, because it kind of puts me in a comfortable place. You know, it, uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it puts me in a place of something that I've been familiar with my entire life. Yeah. And then the bridge, they actually went for a dashboard confessional style bridge. Yeah, I can hear that. I yeah. can hear that. So they wrote it the way that he would write one. Now, this song, while yes, it's very catchy, it's about probably something that is an awkward moment that we all can relate to. Mm-hmm. So Adam Lazara, he wrote the the lyrics to the song after he broke up with a longtime girlfriend. And before they broke up, she had bought tickets to see Coldplay. And then despite the breakup, they still went together. And it's about the feeling of awkwardness of the car ride, about being next to this person that you are just completely awkward in at something that you're really looking forward to. Now, he obviously is looking forward to a Coldplay show in a way that I'm not because I'm not a big Coldplay fan. But I felt like after putting all that together, it's like I can relate to every part of this song and to hell with you. Yeah, except for the Coldplay part. But uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, the way that everything kind of like fades out at the end and Fred is screaming, I've got it bad, I thought yeah. was a great move because it's like this song has been this like kind of like awkward building almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then 
it like culminates in this like big moment and then fades out into just this like hollow scream. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. So I like this. I I do. Yeah. And I, I definitely love the name of it a decade under the influence. I don't know where that name came from, but I thought it was a fun name and I can understand why this was the first single off the album. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think it makes sense. We talked about this before when bands start to change their style a little bit. When you release a single, you sort of can go a couple different ways. You can release one that is way out of left field that says, hey, guys, we're getting wacky. This is our new sound. Or you put out something that kind of draws from your old sound while introducing some new elements. And I think that's what they did here. Yes. This, to, like I said, I like this one because it reminded me of the first record. But there is some of the, that new stuff that they're going for here. Um, yep. So I think it was a smart single choice. Absolutely. And then we go into track four. This photograph is proof. I know you know. I could do was to just play All right. (laughs) Obviously, you didn't like this song. And this was the second single from the album. And I talked about something in the beginning that I just hit on briefly, which was that there was something happening during this time period that really kind of stopped shortly after this, that the emo scene was getting attention in like major media. And this was a big song off of the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack that also had a Dashboard Confessional song on it. And I don't recall a lot of, you know, emo bands or, 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 you know, smaller bands like this, I guess. I don't know. Pick your words on soundtracks of major movies. And Spider-Man two was a huge movie. Oh yeah. So, you know, I think that's cool that they, they grabbed this. Now I do think that the dual vocal thing worked really well on this song. And, I think that the bridge having the uh, the screaming was a great change of pace. And I think that this is a highlight of this album. Your face and your booze tell me you feel completely different. Now tell me why you feel completely different. All right. So musically, I just, there's there's nothing about this song that I think really stands out. And then what does stand out is in a negative way. And that is the vocals. Because I'm not even going to try, but especially that second verse, like he sounds like he can't, he sounds like he has a sore throat or something. Like he's just not even, I don't know. He sounds like he's straining way harder than he needs to. Um, So I I do want you to know that when I edit these and put them together, I do run it through a program that removes all sounds that are not human. And I'm pretty sure it's going to take out that sound. Well, I wish it would have took out the sounds he was making in that second verse because it just is weird. And then to make matters worse, you have this like dark, like deaf Tony's bridge that just, I don't know, like the whole key changes and it just feels like it's a different song for a minute. And I just... More than you'd like to forget 
Ooh, that. I don't know, man. There's, I, I, I will. Okay, two positives. Two positives. All right. I like the chord progression in the chorus. Okay. I like that it walks up instead of down. Yeah. Because emo usually goes down. Right. And, <laughs> and I think that, I, also, I, I think that's actually one of the qualities of the like northeast emo, which is where you get a little bit more of the up instead of the down. Okay. And and then I I also like at the very end, uh, under the last couple choruses, there's this neat little hammer on pull off little guitar flourish that he does. Like if you, uh, it's it's reminiscent of the guitar solo uh, in the middle by Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, I like that. The rest of the song is a slog to get through. I just, I don't know this one. I don't, I don't like this one. See, I, I felt like this was one that a lot of people liked. And oh no, clearly I'm in the minority on no. a lot of my opinions on this record. I, I um, felt I, I feel surprised yeah. by the fact that you didn't like this song. And you know, you can be in that minority and you know we'll take away your rights uh to uh music. Yep. Because this song know, is I, a gem. No, I'm not gonna take away your rights to music, obviously. <laughs> but no, uh I love this one all the way through and I think it's because the song changes so much throughout it. I mean, it has, you know, three, what I feel like is three distinct changes within this one song. And I feel like the three parts work together. Now, I do think that maybe it was that they had, you know, very limited time to write and record this album. And so mm -hmm. maybe this was a more rushed song or they had several songs they thought they really liked. And then they try to put them together into this one. But I think it works. I I like this one, so that's, that's and, fine. You're you're allowed to like it, and um, I I like what this song did for putting this genre of music into the zeitgeist of being big off of the Spider-Man Two soundtrack. So we've we've talked about this before, but man, those early two thousands when it came to like mainstream music, it was a wild the west. Wild west, man. Yeah. It was the <laughs> wild west. Not. Nothing made sense as far as what was popular. Like you said, on TRL, there were uh, Limp Bizkit and Britney Spears standing next to each other on the stage fighting for number one spot. Now, track five, The Union. I like this one. All right. I like that it kicks in. Okay. I'm a fan of dynamics. Mm -hmm. I love how this song kicks in. It's fast. It sounds, the guitars sound pretty heavy. And then it just stops. And it's like this real quiet, just like a little clean guitar and a little vocal. And then jumps into the chorus. I, I love that. What I don't love is there's some sort of high pitch guitar Tom Morello worship going on in the verses that is just like when you've got a nice pair of headphones on, it is like an ice pick in your eardrum. And it's like, get that out of there. Why is that in there? But it's just like this, the song's going and it's fast and it's four on the floor and in the background. Like, stop, get that out of there. But that's really my only complaint. I think it's a good song. And then, of course, near the back half of the song, you get that half, that cut in half, 
half tempo kind of groove again that I'm a sucker for. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this one. I, I, I enjoy this one. So this song is a fast paced adrenaline rush of a song. And I felt like it was a great placement for this one because mm-hmm. I felt like, I felt like in four, we started to get a bit of the repetitiveness of, of what we've had in the past. Mm-hmm. And then we get this and it's just, it, it hits you hard. And this was one where I do feel like the bass was turned up a little bit more because that bass line is good in this song. I do like it. Mm-hmm. Now, the guitar that you're talking about, I never noticed it until I sat down and listened to this all the way through with headphones on. And I think that's why it's never bothered me and why this has always been a good one for me because that thing that became annoying in the headphones was not a thing I'd ever really heard before. Yeah. You know, I think maybe and, it was just like a little seasoning, a little flavor on the song through speakers, but then through headphones, it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't need that. That's too much salt. And, and as a, you know, a musician going through these records more analytically than just sitting back and enjoying it, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm, I tend to pick out little things like that, that the average person just listening to a CD they like yeah. isn't, isn't going to, you know, necessarily make a point to notice however let me ask you something and you might not have an answer but the lyrics of this song yes i remember at this time specifically fallout boy comes to mind but a couple other bands used to do these like and i guess it's in every genre but they like feud sort of and they're like you're not seen we're seen or scenes bad and we're different and all this stuff does that line i never made a scene well, they came to me. Is that what he's talking about? Is he trying to say like, I don't, don't include us in your little emo stuff. We're better than that. Or is that just I, me? I think that's just you. I took that. Okay. I've always taken that as, and I don't know what this out, what this song was written about, but yeah. I always kind of took it as not feuding with the scene or feuding with uh, anybody in the scene, more of just uh, a personal thing of like, I never made a scene you know, when it came to me, like, you know, okay. So in, I, in whatever I, situation this song was written about, the song is a, called the union. Yeah. And then he's talking about never made a scene. They all came to me. I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I was reading more into it probably than needed to be, but yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, I could be wrong and the union could be something from a TV show or something somewhere along the line. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if somebody wants to reach out to us from take it back Sunday and let us know it could be any day of the week. It doesn't just have to be Sunday, you know? <laughs> yeah. If somebody I don't wants, know if I want that, I don't have a lot of nice things to say. <laughs> I, I will be as honest with them as I am on Walk the danger, not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought you guys were really good until about halfway through louder now. And then I'd still see you live though. I would, but oh yeah, that'd be yeah. fun. So I do want to talk about what you uh, mentioned about the bridge. The bridge does give a tempo change real quick, mm-hmm. and then it comes back real quick. And yeah. I I have always liked that. Like you, I do like dynamics. I don't like it when a song is all over the place. As far as it, when you've got different instruments with different things going on that don't sure. work together. But I do. I do think it's fun. I I, yeah. I did think that was a great thing they did in this because if they maintained that same energy all the way through, I think the listener and the band members would get exhausted. So true. You know. All right. And then on to number six, 
new American classic. It's just a reaction. It's too much to ask for when there's no attraction anymore. Chasing our dreams is just a distraction. I want to by your face, I could tell that you didn't like this one. <laughs> okay, I think that guitar lick is very pretty. I think that acoustic guitar kind of picking the single notes is very pretty. But I just, I don't know if this, uh, again, as a musician, and I try, I try to put myself in a position of just listening to the words and the emotion and the feel. But as a musician, these songs just, they're, they come across as boring to me. They're like, like I said, the guitar is pretty. I'm sure the lyrics are important to people. But as just a 37-year-old man listening to this now, this kind of song just does not work for me. So I will say that this song connected with me a lot more when I was younger. I yeah. still do like this song. I, I really do. And I think that the slowdown of this song is needed here, especially given the last song that we got. I feel like this kind of changed up a lot of what we were getting. And I do want to uh, acknowledge the fact that it's not just acoustic guitar. You know, before we started getting the uh, the violins and stuff, there were little bells and little random noises and little buzzes, oh, yeah, yeah. which I heard a lot more through headphones than I did through speakers. But mm. I thought that the guitar was great. And then we got a little, you know, a little, little guitar solo that was accented by the violin. And then it was like the violin kind of, or the guitar faded out, guitar, violin kind of came up. And then we got the drums that came in. And then we got like a new kind of solo. With that in there. And so it was, to me, it kind of was sectioning out the way that it mm -hmm. was it was put together. Now, in piggybacking off of something you mentioned, this came up in a couple other episodes. I like the track placement of this because a lot of times what we were noticing was these bands would have an album of 10, 12 songs and track nine or 10 is where they slow it down. It's too late. And then that, it, yeah, and then it messes up the vibe of the last couple songs. I think the so worst. I think, I, I think the worst uh, perpetrators of this was actually the Issues album, where yep, the yep. last song, the second to last song, was the slowdown. Yeah, and then yeah, but go on. Where, yeah, and and I think by having this right here in the middle, it kind of just gives you a little bit of a breather before jumping into the back half of the record. Personally, though, I mean this this could have been like the last track. I'm I'm kind of into that. I don't mind when a band is pretty straightforward for the first 10, 12 tracks. And then the very last track is the softest, prettiest song on your record. Like I'm cool with that, but I, I think this is a fine placement for it. I don't particularly like it, but I don't think it's a bad song at all. See, I don't like it when bands put the slowest, prettiest song as the last track. I like it when they put it in the middle of the album and mm -hmm. give us the slowdown that that's needed after the energy they bring on the first half of the album. 
the last song to me should be a good bookend of like, hey, we're going out with a bang. Uh, well, and and I guess it is a case by case situation because like for me, this is not a aggressive band. No, you know what I mean. And so we're having gonna a give song, you a hug over a punch. That's yes. And so having a song like this at the end or in the middle, either way is fine because it's not out of character. A lot of bands, you know, especially in the more metal and aggressive music genres don't do a lot of softer acoustic stuff. So when they put it slap dab in the middle, it feels awkward. Whereas if it's just the last track on the record, it sort of makes sense because you've, you've been exhausting for 30, 45 minutes. So now we're going to end it with a a moody slow jam kind of vibe. Okay. I can get on board with, with that. But I think that if a band, if a heavy band is going to put a slow song at the end, the song before it needs to, like the last half of the song needs to kind of start coming down. And so then you don't go from just balls to the wall, you know, make my eardrums bleed to now I want to cry. But for all intents and purposes on this record, this is a good spot for this. Yes. In fact, overall, this album has great track placement. I, I feel like the songs really flowed together well. Yeah. But speaking of track placement, I think the next track was a great move. Track seven, I Am Fred Astaire. Oh, so in the first place, you should have never come here alone. You should have never bothered it all. Bothered it all. Now, I don't know where that title came from, but I've always liked it. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. to, you know, I actually put, I had a name tag once and I put Fred Astaire on it just because I thought it was, <laughs> it was fun. Anyway. Yeah. So we go from this slow, great song. I don't care what you say. Great song to just this song that starts with this feedback and inner fast drums and hard guitar. It's just, now we're cooking, as you said on Thornhill. Mm. You know, it's it comes out of that into something that's well needed as far as getting things moving again. If you fell asleep in the last song, you're now awake. I like that it picks up. Uh, I think that was smart to go into something more upbeat and heavier. But as a guitar player, this is boring as all hell because it's literally two chords for the verses and then the chorus is a very stock four chord progression and all of that is fine if the vocals and the rest of the band is doing something interesting and to me they're not the vocals in fact on this one are like the verses he he sings like really short lines which something a lot of vocalists do when the guitar player is in a busy mood and wants to do some jangly stuff or something more interesting. They don't do that. It's it's just the the two chords. I I think it's a fine song. I don't think it's it's again, everything on this record is well put together and mixed well and produced well. Just overall as a song, it just was kind of boring to me. Like it just I'm glad it picked back up. That was the smart move. The dynamics were the right call, but then the chord progressions and the vocals just I 
I don't know. It, it, nothing really that really got stuck in my head or anything. Now, all I really talked about was how the song started with that feedback and yeah. then the fast drums and the hard guitar. And now I think the the drum and guitar level were very important to the song. Now, I'm going to 100% agree with you as far as it being boring as far as a guitar playing. I think it's good. Mm -hmm. I like this song. But yeah. about halfway through, I kind of want something different. And so this is a very mm -hmm. front-heavy song in itself. The song, yeah. or the guitar playing is very repetitive. The drums are repetitive. They'll kind of, you know, do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. I like the singing on this song, but it needed to pick up from the last track. And that's all this song really serves is just to pick yeah. pace back up. And about halfway through the song, I check out of this album until the last two songs. But, you know, for this, oh, for about, for this, about halfway through this album, the next two songs, it's not my favorite spot. It kind of falls apart for me. But I, I think that the energy was here and was needed for this. Yeah. Okay. So, so moving on, 180 by Summer. I don't think I'll ever kind of like this one a little bit better um i felt like the music jumps around a little bit it's a little more up tempo it's a little more bouncy there's a little bit of dynamics between the heavy and the soft parts i don't love the vocals the verses i kind of i'm better with than the chorus but i again nothing super memorable that like sticks with me but i remember listening to the album thinking it was fine yeah and that's the thing about this song is it's fine. It's fine at best. I do like yeah. how his vocals do kind of have a burst and bloom quality within them, but really mm -hmm. only like in the chorus. He doesn't even sound like himself in the verses. And yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I do think that this song has a a great breakdown in it, but the song is fine at best. This is mm -hmm. not one that jumps out at me. Now, I will tell you that the 180 Summer, one of the guys was... Uh, was challenged to get down to 180 by summer in his weight. Yeah. So, you know, the one of the few song titles isn't taken from TV and whatnot. So it's a fine song. This is not a standout track to me. I, again, the do vocal on this one, it's fine. I don't like how they repeat the same damn thing for like 30 seconds of it. Yeah. And you want to talk about repetitive? This song yeah. does it. So, but a good breakdown. So the next song, number five with a bullet. title <laughs> <laughs> uh what did you think of that one all right great intro we're gonna die like this you know miserable and oh really gotta hand it to you we really gotta hand it to you and then it falls apart <laughs> you know what i said what the intro is very cringy but after that, it's not bad. 
kind of the exact opposite of what I was saying. Uh, what I said. I, so put it this way: when when it starts, the 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 lines that he sings and the guitar chord progression, my first thought was, "Now that's emo." <laughs> yes. Yeah. It it's unmistakable that this is an emo song because the main line in it is, "We're gonna die like this, you know, miserable and old." Exactly. That's a damn emo line. And I think that's one of the things that actually took me out of this song. I think that this is not the best song here. I wouldn't call it filler. I actually would call the last song filler uh, a filler song. I'd actually call the last half of number seven filler. But mm -hmm. and I feel like that one was they were like, hey, we've got a good song here. Let's make it a little bit longer and let's just keep repeating ourselves. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's kind of what they do on a couple of these tracks when they need to make them a little bit longer is they just repeat themselves. But the dual vocals are fun on this one. But that repeating, we're going to die like this, you know, miserable and old over and over again. I'm like, yeah, yeah okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like, I already feel that my my bones now at almost 40. I don't need you to tell me. Okay. So now this will determine if what our friendship does after this episode. <laughs> All right. Track little devotional. What are your thoughts? Okay. This is not a standout compared to the rest of the album. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you before you completely lose um, respect for me. I'm going to... I'm Yeah, mm, just hang on. Okay. I'll, I, I'll try. I don't think that this is a standout track. I do think this is a better song than the two we got before this. I love the drum intro on this. I love the adrenaline in this song and it brings the energy right back up to where it needs to be, especially after we just died miserable and old. And I like this song. This, this to me is a great song. Do I think it's as good as other ones on the album? No, but I love the song though. All right. All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a pass. This I, to I, me is I appreciate that you'll, that you'll work with me on your feelings about my opinion of this out of this song of an emo record from 20 years ago <laughs> right right the stakes are high this is probably my favorite song on the album to me this is the most interesting musically i love that guitar harmony at the intro of the song They don't do that at any other point on this record, and I don't understand why. It is, it's technically efficient. It sounds gorgeous. They only do it at the very beginning and at the very end underneath the vocals and everything else going on. I wish they would have done more of that, not just as a guitar player, but also as just a music fan. Like that is a cool skill that they have that they're not utilizing. I think the guitar work on this song is probably the best on the whole record. I like the vocals better on this one too. It sounds a little bit more, I don't want to say aggressive, but it's not as whiny and nasally as they get on some of the other songs. The chorus is big and catchy. 
Really, this one is probably my favorite on the record. I think this one from top to bottom just is really, really good. Okay. And I'm not sure where that title, Little Devotional, comes from. But no, I I know the guitar that you're talking about that happens at the beginning and the end. And musically, I thought this was a great track. Again, I don't think it's better than other ones here, but Mm -hmm. I I do like this one. And this is where the album comes back for me because we kind of, like I said before, fell apart about halfway through seven and then eight and nine just did not do it for me. And so here we are, 10 little devotional and we're back. We're back into it. And it's kind of like, it's not a standout, but it's enough to bring me back into things here. So my feeling is, it, you're exactly right. It brings you back in because I don't, I had nothing, you know, I didn't hate the the seven, eight, nine stretch of the record, but I agree. That's not my favorite part of the record either. And then this song just uh, immediately. So like I'm sitting here doing work, headphones on, listening to this album, seven, eight, nine. I'm just kind of in it. It's fine. It's just kind of washing over me. Then this song kicks in and my ears pick up and I'm like, okay, this is a good song. I'm, I'm back in. And then track 11, slow dance on the inside. Slow Dance on the Inside. One of the only other tracks that's not named after TV. And he, uh, Adam Lazar wrote this song after he was snowed in for a couple days. And uh, he made a comment to somebody and their response was, well, you can slow down on the, dance on the inside. And I can't think of what that would be a response to because I don't know what his comment was before that. But I never have made that type of statement to somebody anyway maybe he's like i can't dance outside and they're like you can slow dance on the inside and i don't know. anyway yeah have you read these lyrics these guys talk in pretentious slang <laughs> yeah okay so i think that they have a bit of that but i don't think that they have the not as bad as some other bands <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i don't think they have the level of emo lyrical cringe that a lot of other bands have by far this wasn't written by pete wentz no 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 it was not but this song has a little bit more of that but i think this song is a really good closer it's catchy it's poppy and it ends with a fantastic song it it's just on the edge of it the entire time i do think that the dual vocals again dual vocals actually worked well here but that intro that intro was great to me that almost military cadence that the drums had and then it does take about a minute to get into the song i think it's like right at 50 seconds the rest of the songs kind of kicks in but or you know, the song gets bigger there, which I think was great coming off of the last track because I thought the last track kind of flowed well into this, into mm-hmm. this, you know, again, military cadence of a drum roll. I thought this was a great closer to the album. And I thought the way the song ended 
was really good for the album. It didn't end in a way of like, oh, do we have anything else? No, no, not like the Coheed and Cambria album that had an extra clip at the end that didn't need to be put there. But I I like this as a closer. So uh, Slow Dance on the Inside is not one of my favorites. This is, again, this is that style of music that just does not work for me. I agree that it makes sense as an album closer, but I, I don't know. And for an album with such tight, short, concise songs, the fact that this one goes over four minutes. Just, just by like, 26 seconds. I know, I know, but it manages to feel longer than that. <laughs> I but, don't know. This one, this one didn't sound slow and pretty. This one sounded tired, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. And I kind of think that might be an appropriate feeling, considering that it was written about being snowed in. And it's the last song on the album because they're tired at this point. I don't know. <laughs> and to me, maybe that's the feeling that I, I like on this, where it's like, mm -hmm. it does have that kind of slow, you know, drum roll intro. And then yeah. suddenly it explodes. But it doesn't lose the feeling of the intro and it just, this one works for me on almost every level. Now there was one thing that I did not mention in a previous, uh, previous song. Now I mentioned in our flyleaf, uh, episode, how much I hate tambourine. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wanted to make, I made a point to go back and talk about this. I hate a tambourine and in track seven, I am Fred Astaire. There's a tambourine in the chorus that I never heard until I put on headphones. <laughs> and I didn't mind it, but I do not think it was needed. Fair enough. By any means. Fair enough. So I feel like maybe it was a tambourine that was just put on the, the hi-hat and was, was used there. But sorry, we were talking about slow dance on the inside. <laughs> I think that this was a, a, a great closer in every way. And the way that it comes out of the song before into the drum roll and then it explodes and then it closes. The song mm -hmm. does well at closing to where you know it's over, you know it's done. And this isn't a song that I feel like if they were to play live, it would be anything like it would be in the encore. They would come out and play, you know, two or three more songs. And I feel like this would be one that when they're done with it, everybody in the crowd knows that the concert's over. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and so to your point, I think this is a great album closer. But just as it is, these aren't the kind of songs that I want to listen to on a regular basis. So okay. I, I get why it's here and I get why it would be a, a song that fans would love. It's just not for me. Okay, that's that's fine. Th this album is not for you because... It's for me. I love yeah. this thing through and through. This is this is one that again I didn't listen to for years and then picked back up for this and fell right back into it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So after we have fairly well broken down this album, mm -hmm. I am very interested in hearing your closing thoughts. I feel like it's gonna be more negative than positive, but I uh I'm interested in hearing your closing thoughts. So why don't you take it away? Okay, so for me, this is definitely a product of its time. I don't hate it, 
but there isn't much here that their contemporaries don't already do, and in a lot of cases, do better. Or, at the very least, do it in a way that I enjoy listening to more. The vocals don't always come across as emotional, as they kind of come across forced in some places. I think the songs are well-written. I think the record is very well-mixed and produced, but the chord progressions and the melodies feel kind of contrived and played out even by 2004. There's a couple of standout songs that I think will probably live forever on some greatest emo songs of all time playlists, but as an album from start to finish, there's just not a lot that makes me want to come back. This album is not where I want to be. Mm. Yeah. Had to throw in a danger pun. Yeah. Uh, one to 10, I give it about a 5.5. Okay. And actually, something that I meant to say before. Now, this is the second album we've done in a row with children on it. <laughs> you know, um, oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. One Nation had a child, had several children on it. So this cover, if you look at it, it's got the, uh, the child pointing at the road sign. And mm-hmm. and so that road sign was actually uh, so Adam Lazara is actually from this this neighborhood the uh, the Greensboro area here in North Carolina, and that was actually a a road sign that was outside of a rest stop that he and his friends used to stop at all the time right before they got home. Where he wants to be is home. Anyway, that's cool. All right. This was a big step for Take It Back Sunday and a great follow-up to tell all your friends. This album is also a really big step for the emo scene. I've always felt that this album was emo with a little bit of dirty punk. This is the sound of New York emo. The dual vocals remind me that you don't always have to be the absolute best vocalist to lead a great band. Where You Want to Be shows the hardcore power pop of Take It Back Sunday and put the group as one of the leaders of the scene. But the band didn't make the album full of cringeworthy, risky lyrics and one-liners, many of the other outfits, and the emergence of screaming emo causing them to come off as less distinctive. And this can make the album to sound like the soundtrack to generic teenage angst that we already knew from the new metal scene. They didn't do anything here to redefine the sound. They just simply turned it up and made it bigger. After eating this album for 20 years, they earned my Sunday back. I gave this album a 7.5. Or 7.8, excuse me, 7.8. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of danger punts. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was coming. Yeah. Okay. That's. I think that's reasonable. I was afraid you were going to go eight or above, and that would that would just be disrespectful just in, to music in general. So 7.8 is fair. This was one where I actually had it at an eight when we began this conversation, but I actually <laughs> dropped it down to 7.8 because yeah, of what you were I brought saying. it down. <laughs> I mean, we we have put each other in different places and talking about the albums and stuff. So yeah, you uh, you brought it down a little bit. I still genuinely love this album, but it is repetitive at a certain point. So you gave this album a five point five. I gave this album a seven point eight. So together we gave it a six point six five, which puts it just below ongoing places concept and just above closure in Moscow first temple. Hmm. I I think I like both of those more, but that's fine. Yeah. Actually, you gave both of those a uh, six instead of a five point five. But I I feel like this would pair better with Closure in Moscow. But I don't want to listen to it with either of those because I think that those are very <laughs> distinct albums within themselves. So yes. Anyway, 
If anybody out there listening has a suggestion for an album they would like to hear us talk about, please shoot us a email at dangerandsarge at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Facebook uh, X or it still feels weird to say X instead of Twitter, but uh, reach out to us on X or Instagram and let us know your thoughts. So Monster, what album are we talking about next week? So next week, I thought it would be fun to do an album from the exact same year, almost the exact same date. The, the album we did today, Where You Want to Be by Taking Sunday, Taking Back Sunday, came out July 27th, 2004. Next week's record came out June 22nd, 2004. Okay. That's Lines, Lines in My Face by the band Chronic Future. Okay. All right. I'm very excited to talk about this. All one. right. I, uh, I'm going to play this one nonstop until we, uh, we talk about it. So, And you'll be glad you did. Yep. Thank you for listening to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, and I hope you have an excellent day. Bye.